0: in the first chapter of the epistle of Paul to the Romans and um, I'm going to be reading just three verses verse 15 I'm going to read 15, 16 and 17 so as much as is in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greeks for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith and here we are on the first Thursday of this new year and back into this amazing epistle of Paul to the Romans. You know, I think we've been uh, looking at it now for 14 Thursday nights, this is our 15th Thursday night. And um, I, for one, am uh, being blessed every, every week as I study it. I believe that others in the fellowship are being blessed by the studies that we are going through, and therefore we continue Uh, From where we left off before Christmas. And uh, we'll continue through the year to look at this amazing epistle. And pray that the Lord uh, would bless us through it. Change us. I think that's what we want Bible study to do. And that is to change us. Change us to be more of what he would have us to be. To be more like him. You know I know it's very difficult to cast your mind back over a a Christmas period. Uh, But we spent our last study looking at Paul's obligation in verse 14 I am a debtor both the Greeks unto barbarians both to wise unto unwise and if you remember I I used the NIV to make that a little bit more clearer because I couldn't understand what it meant for Paul to be a debtor so and the NIV would tell us that uh, I am obligated I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks to both to the wise and to the foolish. you know and we looked if you remember at where such an obligation would have come from. why was Paul obligated to go and preach to all these different type of people and we saw a number of things that would have pressed in on Paul to fulfill this obligation and first of all we saw that it was his understanding of his commission. God had given him a commission. Ananias had come and had spoken to him and told him all that God expected from him. He also told him all what had happened to him, told him the pain that he would suffer, the problems that he would go through. But his commission was first and foremost in the mind of Paul. You know, and his obligation came from his commission. You know, I suppose that we could say that very uh, clearly and biblically that we have the same commission. And therefore, our obligation comes from our commission that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them all the things that Christ has taught to us. So, the obligation comes through our understanding of our commission. And then, secondly, we saw that it comes. Through an understanding of the character of God, who is He? What has He show us about Himself? How are we to relate to Him? How is, how is the world to relate to Him? And we saw that Paul was concerned with the justice of God. You know, and we uh, looked at those words that, uh, knowing the terror of the Lord, we speak, we persuade men. You know, and I suppose if perhaps we should. Ask the Lord for a little glimpse of his terror. I remember once being in Penia and uh, asking, I don't know what the meeting was about, I think it was John's induction service. And um, I was over in Merthyr at the time and I can remember coming over the Rick and um, praying on on the way home from uh, Merthyr one night on my own and asking the Lord for a glimpse of hell. And um, I, I I think to myself, you know, I don't really want a glimpse of hell. But what would it be like as Christians? What would we be like as Christians if we saw the terror of God? And I remember being in Peniel and um, they asked me to close in prayer. you know when there was the old church was full and there was this great level of excitement and buzz and uh, there had just been a a message in tongues and a gift, the, the interpretation. And I asked for a glimpse of hell. And there was dead silence. The old meeting went silent it's not what we want but Paul says knowing the terror of God and I think it would do us good to know the wrath of God and see what it looks like understand a little what it feels like and I suppose um, in a way we could look at the cross and see the terror of God in the, in the face of Jesus Christ as he suffered on our behalf for our sins Knowing the terror of God, says Paul, we persuade men. I wonder what our persuasive quality would be like if we really believed and understood the terror of God. But then he goes on and talks about the love of God. The love of God constrains me to preach the gospel. You know, this obligation that Paul had to the Greeks and to the the non-Greeks and to the wise and to the foolish came from his commission. It came from his understanding of the terror and the justice of God. It came from his understanding of the love of God. And to know that all the gospel story is driven by love. The reason why Christ came in the first place is because of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Love drove Paul to share it with others. Then, of course, there was the, the thrill of being involved. Being involved in the greatest and highest vocation known to man. You know, we were coming back from uh, the rugby match last Friday, my, Matthew and myself, and uh, we were talking about um, what we do. You know, we are both pastors, and uh, we both preach. And we I thought we were talking about uh, the things that we would be sort of preaching on through the year. What are you going to be doing? What are you going to be doing on Sunday mornings? What are you be going to be doing on Wednesday nights? I asked him, and he asked the same question. And we talked about this high vocation that every man has to preach the gospel to represent God to the world we talked about us being ambassadors and pleading with men on God's behalf as if God was speaking through us you know what I suppose there is nothing greater than that his obligation to preach the gospel to these different people came from this joy and thrill of being involved Involved in the eternal plan of God, involved in our representation of God upon the earth. You know what there is no greater privilege than any of us can have than to tell someone else about Jesus. And then lastly, we saw last time that there was the reward, the reward. Paul was into rewards. You know, and the reward for this obligation was the crown of joy the crown of joy being the people that he had led to the Lord that he had been a, a part of a means to lead in people to the Lord I talked about us seeing in heaven those people who are receiving their crowns who are there because of something you have said, you have done I know we can't save people how so we can be instrumental in bringing the gospel to men and women and oh what a joy it would be to see someone taking his crown from the hand of Jesus Christ casting it at his feet as he proceeds uh, on this great procession knowing that you had a little part to play in that transaction that he's there in some way or another because of the ministry that's what Paul was saying you are my crown and joys crown of joys said you who have come to faith through the ministry that the Lord uh, has given through me the thought of seeing those before the Lord you know listening to God saying well done faith, good and faithful servant you know your mind will go back to that moment when you spend time witnessing inviting talking being um, a friend to that person that eventually comes to know the Lord it's got to be the greatest joy in all the world no it's no wonder that Paul could say that he is ready 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 to preach the gospel to those in Rome also now is it wrong to want to see a multitude of souls receiving their crown of righteousness is it wrong to think that we were used to bring them in but well, I don't think so I don't think so I'm not ashamed of wanting this church to be full I know we say that members don't bring the blessings of God and uh, and yet at the same time to see this place full would mean that the people who are here are not out there are not going to spend a Christless eternity but they're in here with us and that's the joy of seeing a church that is full and there's nothing wrong with wanting a church to be full and there's nothing wrong in desiring to see that you were used to bring these people in no wonder I, I think it has to be the greatest stimulus to preach or witness or invite men and women to the fellowship no, it's strange, but as well as this study tonight, as I was studying this, I have also um, sort of, I've got a New Year's resolution. Not in, I didn't sort of mouth it, but I thought it, that I would, um, I would prepare ministry a couple of days before the actual event. Um, you know, I know that we've all sort of done it. And uh, this year I started on Monday morning, to prepare for Sunday morning next Sunday morning so (laughs) at the moment I'm about a quarter (laughs) a quarter of the way through my Sunday morning sermon and um, because unless I get a deadline I'm absolutely useless at finishing things off but I've got it there it started so I am going to worry about what I'm going to bring is bringing things to a conclusion that I'm going to have to do between now and Sunday but um, Of course, I've studied today for for tonight. On each study, I think, I've set the scene for the year that lies ahead of us in the different services. You know, on Sunday morning, I will be bringing a little phrase, just a little phrase, which I feel should influence uh, our Sunday morning services throughout the year of 2016 this little phrase, and I'm going to tell you what it is tonight, if you want to hear it, come on Sunday morning and listen to the little phrase that I think should be uh, our biggest influence through the year, giving us a reason to be cheerful a reason to be positive and a reason to be confident and boy on a Sunday morning don't we need that reason after last Sunday morning but tonight this is the word I want us to Be our watchword throughout 2016 ready ready so much as it as is in me i am ready ready to preach the gospel to you who are in rome also i wonder if that word could burn um no if they reckon that um, computers if they have the same picture on it for a long time that picture will superimpose itself onto the screen, and that 's why you've got things like screen sa- or you still have it, i don't think I know screen savers you know so if it was working on your computer and you sort of dropped off for a minute or two, you woke up there 'd be fish swimming across your screen, or there'll be plants growing on your screen or and they were called screen savers they saved. The screen itself from, being, from having this one solid picture superimposed onto your screen. I wonder if we can have that word superimposed onto our hearts. I know there'll be screensavers that will come into operation. Things that will distract us. Things that will take our minds away. Things that will take our resolve away to stop it burning into our uh, sort of psyche. But wouldn't it be great if through this year this word ready would be there That every day we would be ready ready for what god wants us to do ready to preach the gospel ready for this ready for that ready for the other that would be a joy for me if i can be ready at every opportunity that god gives to me that i'd be ready And I wonder if that could be the case for each and every one of us who comes on a Thursday night that we would be ready to share this gospel with anyone and with everyone. Now I don't think we could uh, look at the word ready in two ways. There's two ways of using the word ready. To be ready means to be prepared or to be equipped. Now speaking personally, my... uh, uh, in life has taken me in two totally different directions first of all i trained to be a mechanical engineer and i went quite high in the the academic side of it it took me four years of preparation of schooling of tuition i got myself gend up uh, with all the the things that an engineer should be gend up i spent uh, money getting tooled up. As I brought all all my tools, the necessary to to be an engineer, and I spent my time getting skilled up, so I could do the job that was expected of me. You know, and I was ready to go. And for four years, I used that preparation as I ran the underground uh, sort of section of the comb almost (laughs) single-handedly I wondered whether it would shut me because I left and it it did actually but um, four years I used that preparation and I gained the experience and I did everything that was ever expected of me now as you know on December the 8th 1976 on my 25th birthday disaster struck and my life took an amazing turn, and I found myself preparing for the ministry. You know, and it took a, a long time, different all different uh, ways and means <coughs> that God brought in in my way. Correspondence courses, my own studies. Me and David went to a Saturday morning Bible school over in uh, in Nithle And then, of course, culminating in three years in Bible college. And then five years in the cauldron that was Carmel Faith Mission in Merthyr, where I I finished my training, and then I was ready. Ready to take on the challenge of Emmanuel. I couldn't have come to Emmanuel until I had gone through all those different uh, things. Studies and experience building moments that I'd spent and here I am 25 years later still relishing that same challenge you're going into 2016 now and still I relish the challenge of leading this fellowship so there we have it preparation experience and training they made me ready ready, you now I suppose it's true in all walks of life, I'm not just saying that this is a Christian thing or a pastor thing and whoever, on whatever vocation you take, those three things, preparation experience and training will make you ready, but I think it's more so uh, in the preaching of the gospel because in the preaching of the gospel there is one unique requirement that is found in no other vocation. If you want to preach the gospel, then you have to know the person who brought the gospel to us. If you're going to preach the gospel, you have to know the person who is the center and the soul of your message. If you want to preach the gospel, you have to know the person who is and know him as your personal saviour otherwise the vocation will never achieve anything yes it may build a big church yes it may influence the community but if you don't know the Lord as your saviour then you are not supposed to preach the gospel it's only those who have known him as saviour those who are born again those who are filled with his spirit are able to preach the gospel, no wonder, that is the requirement that Paul needed before he could preach the gospel, before he could say, I'm ready, now of course, Saul is the ideal candidate for the ministry, never was before, has there been a man, so ideal for the position of preacher, Do you know that he knew the Scriptures like the back of his hand? No one knew the Scriptures like he did. He tells us that he rose above all the other students when it came to studying the Word of God. He was top of his class. And he was destined for great things because he knew the Scriptures like the back of his hand. He had the right pedigree. No one had the pedigree that he did. Tells us in Philippians chapter 3, That he had a reason to boast because of his pedigree. He fulfilled all the religious criteria. Tells us that according to the law, he was blameless. He was the ideal candidate. And of course, he was extremely enthusiastic. He was sold on the idea of being a Jewish minister in his time. He was the perfect candidate for a preacher you know what more is needed for him to get on with the job he is the ideal candidate there's another ideal candidate I don't know if you uh, realise in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament there's another ideal candidate for the ministry and his name was Apollos you know what he has a, exactly the same type of testimony as Paul Listen! To, listen to what he says now a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord now that's amazing that's amazing you know this man has got to be a part of the church He's going to be the pastor that we're all longing to have in our church. Someone who can uh, is instructed by the Lord. Someone who is was, was able to teach the things of the Lord in an accurate way. Someone who is eloquent and can speak great words and uh, wow people with his ministry. And Euse, he Apollos, he's a must-listen-to preacher. He's the man for two thousand and sixteen until you go on a little bit and if you go on just a touch this is what it says he knew only the baptism of John he began to speak boldly in the synagogue and when Aquila and Priscilla heard they took him to one side I love that little phrase they took him to one side I remember going up to visit David once just on the off just I thought I'd go up and uh, catch old him up in with him when he was in uni, take him for a meal and tell him what we're thinking about him. I had no other reason to go up. You know, and when we were sitting down, he was nervous. <laughs> and we were sitting down and the, the restaurant is right on the front, we could see the sea and the lovely sea there. And, and yet he was all uptight. I said, what's the matter? He said, you're not taking me to one side, you? are <laughs> not taking me to one side. I said, no, I've come to have a meeting with him. And he, it, it didn't happen until I left. He was happy because I thought he thought I'd got to take him to one side. <laughs> That's why this, ah, this little sentence tickles me because it reminds me of that. You wonder, they took him to one side. <laughs> I'll explain to him the way of God more accurately. Yeah, but he did. Wasn't he teaching the scriptures accurately? Wasn't he eloquent in all the things? Wasn't he learning? What happened then? What was the problem with this man? This man only knew the baptism of John. It meant that he didn't know Jesus as his personal Savior. Here he is preaching. And he wasn't saved. Do you want? Do you know it's easy to us to sort of see that, discern that in people? When you listen to people preaching... They preach about anything. Except what's important. The cross. The blood. You know And, and preachers can go through an all year of preaching fabulous sermons. And it never mentioned the cross or the blood. And it, it speaks out to you. So this person needs Jesus to be their saviour. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila knew. They saw him and they thought, this man doesn't know Jesus as their Saviour. And if you went on into chapter 19 of Acts, you will notice that there were 12 other men. The disciples of Ephesus. And they were preaching um, to every good, to all in Sunday. And Paul says, have you received the Spirit since you believed? And they'd never heard of the Spirit. They'd never heard of the Spirit. They were preaching the baptism of John. The baptism of John is great, but it doesn't save us the blood of christ that saves us knowing jesus as your own personal savior not even knowing jesus is good enough but knowing him as your savior i've entrusted in him and i've entrusted in the sacrifice that he made upon the cross that's the requirement that you and i need to be able to preach to be ready to preach the gospel and you know when this when he goes and when Aquila and Priscilla heard, they took him to one side and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refilted the Jews, publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus had actually come into his ministry before it was everything else and with Paul before it was everything else but now it was Jesus you see with all that you have going for you and these two men had great things going for them they weren't ready to preach the gospel so many qualifications and that the the vital one is glaringly absent and it was so easily discernible they both Needed to meet the risen Christ they both needed their sins to be forgiven they both needed to be washed in the precious blood of Christ they both needed a personal relationship with Almighty God they both needed to be filled with His Holy Spirit you know what until these things are true of them the gospel was alien to them there is no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved and that name is Jesus Christ and him crucified and until unless and until we have that relationship with God through Christ and through our trust in his sacrifice upon the cross then we dare not preach the gospel we dare not preach the gospel Christ tells us in uh, John chapter 14 I am the way the truth The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, Paul or Saul, there was a glaring lack in him because he hated this person. He hated this Christ. He thought him an imposter, a destroyer of true religion. But he found him to be the very center and soul of the gospel, around whom the message of God's kingdom revolved. You know, and it was when Saul met up with the risen Christ on that road to Damascus that all these things became apparent. You know, when he changed his tune or he changed his testimony. I said just now that he thought that he, according to the law, he was blameless. But when he met up with Jesus, he realized that he was the chief of sinners. What a change! Meeting up with Christ brings you from there to there. From this proud, arrogant man to this humble, penitent sinner bowing before the cross. He found himself to be bound in sin, destined for hell. He saw himself in need of this gracious offer of free salvation. And what's more, he saw Christ as the eternal Son of God. The unique sacrifice for our sins. The one who would set him free from the law of sin and death. His only hope of a right relationship with God. With the God that he loved. With the God that he thought that he once served. He saw Christ as the one who could save him from his sin and make him fit for eternity. We would call it today being born again. Or being saved or being converted or seeing the light he had been born again and the spirit of God had filled him his eyes were now wide open to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and now he was ready to preach he was ready to preach know what truth backed up by the voice of God Ananias You see what it says Go For he is a chosen vessel of mine To bear my name Before kings And the children Gentiles kings And the children of Israel That's the voice of God Go For he is a chosen vessel Of mine You know and that's what he says To all his children To every one of us Did I know that every one of us In this gathering I've come to know him as our saviour We've been born again We've had our eyes wide open to the truth We've had our hearts changed And converted We know him as our saviour and lord And therefore Ananias God can say to Ananias Go for those in Emmanuel Are chosen vessels of mine To bear my name Before Gentiles Kings and the children Of Israel He was Ready to preach, ready to preach. Now we all know that that is fundamental. You know, in fact, it is because such a fundamental has been neglected in today's church that we have such a weak church in the West today. You know, I I read a book way back in 1988 and it was called Predators in our pulpits by a man called Philip Keller uh, he was the man famous who writing a book on the, the 23rd Psalm and he wrote a book Predators in our pulpit. It was a warning of this fundamental error that I just talked about. You're not ready to preach until you know Jesus as your Saviour. You know today the church is full of people The pulpits are full of people who don't know Jesus as Savior. Now, this was a warning of some—how much is it? 27 years ago. So you can imagine how much worse it is today. The pulpits are full of people who have you who use it as a vocation rather than something else. They're not ready to preach because they don't know Christ as their Savior. But Paul was ready to preach. That is, he had the qualifications. But that word ready there can also be used as the word willing. Are you willing to preach? You can, you can have all the qualifications, but the foremost meaning of the word in our text asks, are you willing? Are you ready? You want know, it's here, I suppose, that for us, where the rubber hits the road because I would confidently say that we, are, we know the Christ as our saviour we have all that essential quality under our belts but that's the willingness to preach actually filter down into our everyday activity you know that is to be the question that this test, text aims at us you know going back to the place where Saul met the Lord and reading on gives us an, an astonishing look into the attitude of this man Yuri he is blinded for three days and he's still blinded by the experience that he had when he met with Christ a man has come that he never saw before, never heard before and spoke to him while he was in the dark and told him of all the trials and tribulations that he would face told him that he would go and preach the gospel to so and so, so and so and so and so and immediately he preached. Immediately. Where did he go? He went to the synagogues. Now that would be the last place I'd go. I tried, I'd sort of make my way. I talked to people who couldn't care less. And then perhaps people who were loosely attached. And then I'd go to the synagogues because that's where I'd find the most uh, opposition in the very synagogues themselves. But he went straight to the synagogue. And he preached that Jesus was the Son of God. What an amazing turnaround. You know, Apollos was exactly the same. Can you remember what I said in the last verse of, uh, of that story? He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. How can these two men be so positive? How can they be so forceful how can they be so ready and so willing you know well he tells us in our reading tonight you know we are in the book of romans if you remember in chapter one and verse 15 and 16 and this is what he says so as much as is in me i am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in rome also for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to all, to salvation for everyone who believes. You see, that Paul is fresh from having an experience that the power of the cross has brought into his life. Paul is fresh from the experience of knowing the love of God. You know, having understood that he being so unworthy has been dealt with in grace. Being overwhelmed by the privilege and responsibility that God has placed upon him, and knowing the state of his own life prior to this moment, and now realizing what would have been his destiny if Christ had not reached out and saved him, Paul. Was powerfully constrained to preach to others. You know, I go back to my first or earlier thing that I said. Perhaps a glimpse of the terror of the Lord would constrain us to preach the gospel to others. And I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry although I was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent man but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came in to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If ever there was an opposite stance to being ashamed of the gospel of Christ, then this is it. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, is another way of saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now we say today, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And you know that this theme. Paul brings us in this passage of scripture is not u- unique to Romans Paul always Bands on about what Christ has done for him Although unworthy And it is the driving force Behind his entire ministry But what God has done For me he can do for you, you know, And he was overwhelmed By what God had done for him He was amazed by what God Had done for him when he looked at his life The pride and the arrogance, and the insolence that this man had spewed out over his youth, and yet God, in His grace, had reached down, forgiven him all that, cleansed him from all that, and placed him in a ministry that would take him throughout the whole of the entire known world with this amazing gospel. You now, sometimes I feel that we haven't any understanding of what Paul understood and I would just pray with all my heart that the word of God would have such an impact on us, that what he's done for us, will amaze us so much, God's smart us, that we will not be able to remain silent that our worship would burst forth to him in every moment of the day, and our preaching of the gospel would be the norm, because we want to get it off our chest you know what I feel sometimes that we don't come anywhere near what Christ understanding what Christ has actually done for us Paul goes on about it all the time in all his epistles this is what I was this is what Christ has done for me this is what he can do for you get on board because the, the terror of the Lord is waiting for all who don't come to know him as saviour even all the people in this street people in our own families in our work circle in our friends and our neighbours they're bound for hell and we don't even realise it sometimes we're sleeping through it all you and i are not just preaching to you and preaching to me because it's time that we woke up in 2016 and being like Paul and be constrained and be ready to preach the gospel willing to preach the gospel you know, Paul continually reminds us of this change that has taken place in his life. You know, and if we need any prodding from God's word, this is what he said in another place. Preach the word, be instant, ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And then Peter joins in the fun. And this is what he says. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with, meek, meek, with meekness and with fear. You no know, reading our text tonight would tell us that Paul put his heart and soul into the preaching of the gospel. As much as in me is I am ready to preach the... You know, you can't give more than that. As much as in me is. You know, I said earlier that this uh, phrase or this word would be an excellent watchword for us during 2016. As much as in me is I am ready To preach the gospel. Do you know that Emmanuel Christian Fellowship needs each of us to be as committed as that? The church at large needs people to be as concerned as that. And society as a whole needs a church that is as determined as that. Nothing else will do. Do you know I think we are? Probably you know, I've talked about the church declining over many years in the Ronda, but I think we're just about bottoming out now. We've come to the very bottom. You know, the church would not exist in the Ronda if it gets any worse. I was talking to a woman last Monday on the phone, and she's initially from the Ronda. And she we were talking and she said, I pray regularly for all the churches in the Ronda, she said. But there she said there's not many left now is there there's not many left and you you work your way up from Porth to Triobert and you try and count how many vibrant christian bible teaching churches there are in the Rhonda and you won't need more than two hands to do that we are bottoming out and i tell you this if we don't make this a priority in our lives this year, then it will be worse by next year. You know, it's a fearful thing. It's a dreadful thing to think that the church could die out in a in a district when it has the same God, it has the same Bible, it has the same Holy Spirit as it did when 11 men turned the world upside down. Mm-hmm. It's a fearful thing. It's a dreadful thing. No one. It's a the, the Emmanuel, the church, society needs you and me and that's what it boils down to where's the church? where's the church in this? where's the church in that? we are the church it's us you can't point the finger at the church the church doesn't exist you and I have the responsibility in this place for 2016 and we need to be ready Ready. You no, know, one I got them to finish. Am I going to be that person? Are you or are we going to rise to this challenge?